0: Welcome to the Locala Podcast. This is episode 31.
1: And the idea that I really believe is critical is that if we can create access points, and the most important part is not just to create them, but maintain them, Mm -hmm. we will not struggle being an inclusive environment, an equitable environment, a diverse environment, an environment that creates Feelings of belonging, because you don't have barriers. Yeah. And when you have the freedom to engage with people, you have the opportunity to build relationships.
0: Welcome everybody to the Locala Podcast. I'm Lisa Anderson, your host and publisher of Locala Magazine. Oh my goodness, back on the couch today, even though he hasn't been here in an official capacity yet, is Bill Ross with Hands Up Communications. He is the vice president of Hands Up Communications. And we've had him in the magazine in the past, so I'll be sure to go ahead and link to that article. But I wanted to talk to him further and uh, get some more insights on Bill. So welcome back to the studio. It's
1: very nice to be here, Lisa. Thank you.
0: (laughs) What have you been up to, Bill?
1: We are working very hard right now. Our um, company is so busy that we are actually not pursuing new customers, which really really is disturbing to say, to be honest with you, because... Um, our growth has been so fast that Supplied has yet to really come to the place where it meets the demand. Yeah. So the request for interpreters, and we're expanding at the same time. We've just added a Spanish-speaking interpreter.
0: Fantastic.
1: We added a Chinese-speaking interpreter. She speaks Cantonese, Mandarin, and one other language in Chinese that I cannot pronounce. <laughs> So
0: <laughs> so there you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so um I think that's important to that I'm I'm glad you brought that up because um I know most people especially in the Ocala community mm-hmm. see you as ASL interpreters. Right. And but you also do what like 200 languages?
1: 200 spoken languages. Um there are other things that our company provides. We're considered an all access language company, okay. which means that if a company is using videos for training, are those videos captioned? If they're not, we can provide that captioning. If those mm-hmm. captions need to be in another language, like Spanish mm-hmm. or some other language, we can also offer that. Or subtitles. Okay. There's a slu- subtle difference between the two of those. We have cart reporting, which is, you know, when you're watching a football game and it's real-time captioning, so it's it's coming up on the screen, and, it, yes. and then they have a parentheses, laughter, that type of thing. Yes. We also provide that service. Okay. Um, this is especially fit- beneficial for people who cannot hear, but still use English as their primary language of communication. Okay. Um, we also provide uh, document translation. This is especially relevant for medical facilities. Mm-hmm. Um, it's important that the people who are signing their documents understand what the language is or what they're saying or what they're signing. Yes. Um if you don't have that uh, document translation, because maybe they don't even read their own language, it mm-hmm. uh, depends on what culture or country that they come from, Right. Um, having a document, the the interpreter signs saying that they interpreted it into their languages, another part that we also provide.
0: Okay. All right. And so I'm going to kind of dive right into your personal a little bit, but it also kind of bleeds into what you do. Right. Um, and you know, some people might be familiar because I think a, a movie came out recently called CODA. Yep. So they might have a little bit of an idea, but can you explain that for everybody?
1: Yeah. Um, the term CODA means child of deaf adults. It's an acronym that we use to describe ourselves. And it's funny because just recently someone asked me, so you're able to hear, right? And I said, yes, I, I can hear. She said, so you fall into the category of hearing. And I said, no, I'm not deaf. I'm not hearing. I'm CODA. And she's like, what is that? And I said, Mm -hmm. well, um, most often children who have deaf parents oftentimes take on traits or cultural characteristics from the deaf community. And many people think, well, deaf people aren't a culture, they're a disability group. Well, technically, yes, they're disabled, but they are a culture. They're a linguistic and ethnic and cultural minority. So they have their own habits, their own uh, attention-getting techniques, the way that they function in life is vastly different from people who can hear. Mm -hmm. And so many times, CODAs will adopt those without realizing. It's not like an intentional, oh, I like this. I'm going to start doing this. Right. It's more like I grew up in this environment and it's becoming part of my life. We just internalize those behaviors. Mm -hmm. Um, And so many of the things that I did growing up were things that I saw my parents do. Okay. Um, So, for example, I was in college one day and a friend of mine um, was at the end of the table and they were those six foot banquet tables and he was getting ready to leave and I had a mouthful and I couldn't get his attention. So I did what I did at home. I pounded on the table. The entire cafeteria went silent. (laughs) I was like, wrong place. (laughs) Wrong place. It was awful. Oh, no. It was awful. He laughed. But I was like, I said, can you just give me a minute? <laughs> it was bad. <laughs> but that I mean, that's that's not all. There have yeah. been uh serious misunderstandings. I was working at a, a company and my boss, I walked up to her and I tapped her on the shoulder and she'd turn around and I'd talk to her. And about the third or fourth time I had to come had gone to see her and tapped her, she spun around and she goes, Don't touch me. I have a name. <laughs> and I was like, Oh.
0: Oh. And she was so
1: angry with me. Oh,
0: my goodness. Did she give you a chance to explain?
1: I asked her to. I yeah. said, hey, can I explain? And she was like, yes. And so we sat down and talked about it. And she she was very understanding. But she had come from an abusive past. Okay. And me touching her was just, it was not okay with her. Yeah. And I had to learn, okay, people who can hear, there are ways to get their attention. And mm-hmm. it it it's still an issue.
0: Yeah. So yeah. Well, and you're still very heavily in the deaf yes. community. Yes. So you're going back and forth between those two, I guess, worlds yeah. for better lack of. That's, that's <laughs> how I describe it. Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: it's funny because my family tells me that you are like a deaf person trapped in a hearing person's body. And my wife has just gotten used to it. She says, Bill, there's no training you now. <laughs> <You're old. laughs> it's not that you know you can't teach an old dog new do tricks, mm-hmm. and she's like, That's true. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, All right, whatever.
0: Yeah, and you know, I think, um, two people might be surprised that, um, when we had JV in, um, there was no genetic things in his family, right. and um, there were, I believe, six boys, and three of them were, were deaf. Yeah, and then for you. Um, you had both two deaf parents. Mm-hmm. And Vastly
1: different how they became deaf too.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah. So so I think people find that unique when there's a hearing child of two deaf parents.
1: Well, I think like for my family, my father's an identical twin
0: okay. and
1: uh, both of them were deaf. And then uh, my grandparents, who were obviously their parents, tried again and their third child was a girl, and she was also born deaf. Wow. And so they believe it was a genetic predisposition. He married her, or, or they got married, and they both had a, a gene that caused mm-hmm. their children to be deaf. Okay. So obviously I'm a carer of that, um, but none of my children were born deaf. Okay. Um, and my wife was born with the ability to hear, and she contracted spinal meningitis when she was three. Mm. Um, her brother and sister both passed from it, and she survived, but she was left without the ability to hear.
0: Okay, okay. I guess I didn't know your wife wasn't hearing. it. Oh, I,
1: she, she can hear. She can my, hear. Oh. my! I said wife, didn't I? Yeah. I meant my mother. Your mother. My okay, mother, okay. My wife, my mother's siblings both passed, and my mother wasn't able to hear.
0: Okay, all right. Sorry. That's, that's okay. <laughs> um. So... What was it like? I mean, you gave us some examples of what it was like for you growing up. And I know you probably talked about it in your article. It's been a while since I've read it. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, can you tell – give everybody a little bit of description what it was like for you growing up?
1: Yeah. I think for me the thing – and I look back on it now and I I realize that's just a part of growing up. When I was 12 and 13 and 14, I just wanted my mom to be just like everyone else. Mm -hmm. I wanted her to be able to come when I called. You know, like when, when kids fall down and scream, their parents come running. Yeah. When you were, uh, you know, you've got deaf parents and you fall down and you hurt yourself, you go looking for your parents. Um, so, you know, and then when my mom would open the door and she would scream my name or my brother's name, the whole neighborhood hurt because people think that deaf people are quiet. Mm-hmm. It's actually the opposite. Yeah. Um, because they can't hear how loud the cabinets are, they just slam them. They can't hear how loud the pots and pans are. They're mm-hmm. making noise at like 6 and 7 in the morning and you don't get to sleep in. <laughs> you never, you never get to sleep in at a deaf house. Um, and, and ironically they, they like to get each other's attention. They'll either pound on the floor. I already mentioned the slamming of the table, that kind yeah. of thing. Uh, they'll even yell at each other across the room. Hopefully they'll be loud enough and their spouse will hear it. So that was my house. It was never a quiet place. Yeah. Um, and then, embarrassingly, one of my favorite stories to tell is when I was college age and I finally went off to college, I would come home for break. And every time I would come home for break, the volume on the TV would be on 100.
0: Oh my gosh. Because
1: my mother or my father, or both, when they're trying to change the channel, they're hitting the wrong button. And so the sound is just getting louder and louder, and they go, oh. Wrong button. But they can't hear it, so they don't adjust the volume. So it stays at 100. <laughs> and I'm walking in. The windows are vibrating. I mean, I'm like, turn it down, turn it down. You know, so. and Yeah. Um, I remember one night. I'll, I'll never forget it because it scared me to death. My mom and my dad and I were watching a TV show. And it was a scary movie. Mm-hmm. And we had the volume at the right setting. And I could hear the that, you know, that dun-dun the kind of music yes. that they play. And I'm like, and then boom, of course something. And I and I'm, I leap and my father's like, what's the matter with you? And it occurred to me they could not hear the scary music. So yeah. there's no buildup for them. No. All of a sudden somebody jumps out and they go, I, could, I predicted that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I knew it was coming and I jumped. <laughs> so, you know, deaf people perceive life so differently. Yes. And uh, it – I feel more than anything, it is the greatest honor to have been raised in a house with deaf parents. Um, you never really understand how much you miss it until it's actually gone because both of my parents have passed. And uh, it's, I, I'm, I think that's part of the reason I so enjoy being involved with Deaf Night Out when we have all the deaf people come together.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, I feel like I belong again. Yeah. It's really nice.
0: Oh, that's really cool. That's really awesome. And, you know, people, you do a lot of, a number of other things that I don't think a lot of people know about because you do get swallowed up in the community um, and with your job and everything. Um, But you also were a teacher at one point. And you are a publisher now, too. So can you talk a little bit about that part of your life?
1: Yeah. Um, I taught at the university level, and I also taught in public school. I was a professor at North Central University based out of Minneapolis, Minnesota, and I taught sign language interpreting, obviously. It is my passion. Um, uh, And while I was there, I was about there about seven years, I loved teaching interpreters to become interpreters. Mm-hmm. People who maybe knew a little bit of sign language. And and because interpreting isn't simply signing what someone is saying mm-hmm. and then putting into spoken English what someone signs. There's so much more involved in it. There are cultural nu- nuances that we have to manage. It is a complex thing. Um, one mm-hmm. of the ways I tell people, I said, interpreting is not looking for the same word, but looking for the same meaning in yeah. another language. And then I also was a teacher of the deaf for four years. Um, I loved teaching deaf and hard of hearing children language and learning and reading and Just being there to bring them to a better place linguistically, academically, that was an honor. Yeah. Um, So, those are the two parts of my life where I was a teacher. I still teach a lot. I travel all over the United States teaching workshops and trainings for sign language interpreters. Mm -hmm. Um, Areas of strength that I focus on are language development and ethics training.
0: Okay.
1: Um, And then you mentioned uh, teaching and what was the other thing you mentioned? A publisher. Publishing. Oh, yeah. that's right. Um, <laughs> I am the vice president of a small publishing company called h h Publishing. And um, as a publisher, I was fortunate because the owner of the company, Janice Humphrey, is a longtime interpreter. She is in her mid to late seventies, and she is probably one of the most influential interpreters To our profession, one of them. There are others, of course, but she's one of them. And she has written a book called So You Want to Be an Interpreter. Mm -hmm. And we just released it in 2020, the year of the COVID. Yes. And um, when we released it, it was updated considerably because it was Mm -hmm. the fifth edition. And she and I and uh, several other authors, JV being one of them, um, really overhauled the book. And so it is now one of the most commonly used textbook in the nation for sign language interpreting. That's amazing. Um, I'm in the process of writing uh, an ethics book because one of the things that I find in our field is that um, we often assume that students don't possess the necessary critical thinking skills. And there is an element of, of that that is true. But we can't assume that they don't have any of those skills. And I believe that the book that I'm working on is really focusing on not just building critical thinking skills, but allowing them to use their past experiences that may have ethical consequences to generalize that principle or idea to the field of interpreting so they make better decisions.
0: Okay. Okay. So. Well, that's really cool. So how did you kind of, I mean, how did you get into that initially?
1: I'll be very honest with you. It was Janice Humphrey. Um, okay. I was at a conference called Deaf Missions and it was a small Christian interpreters conference. Mm-hmm. And um, I was teaching a it- a really brief two hour workshop, and in comes Janice Humphrey. And I am like, all of a sudden, now I'm shaking all over because this is my hero. And I'm going, <laughs> Oh my gosh, she's here in the room with me. Aww. And um, so I taught this two hour workshop, and it had to do with how to manage um, genre in American Sign Language in the process of interpreting. And when the workshop was over, um, she stood up and said something that really humbled me. She turned to the room and she said, if you will do what he tells you, it will change the way you work. Wow. And I was like, wow. Uh, And then she walked right up to me and said, so, would you like to help me with fifth edition? (laughs) And and that was it.
0: Oh, my gosh. And
1: the rest is history. I started working with her. lot of collaborative effort gone into a lot of research yeah. um, I can tell you the fifth edition is is heavily based on research okay um, so it's a, it's a a well-rounded text yeah so
0: so okay you did you grow up in Minnesota
1: no actually ironically um, all of that took place while we were living in Texas we move a lot okay okay, okay. <laughs> and and a lot of that has to do with my faith I'm also a licensed minister
0: okay um,
1: I've was at one time a pastor of a deaf church, so uh, I pastored the church for five years, and um, and as as ministers go, we get what we call, you know, a calling. Mm-hmm. We we feel led to move to a different place or space in our lives, mm-hmm. and every single time that has happened, there has been a job opportunity that has opened, and my wife and I come together and we really talk and pray about it to make decisions. I don't want to be like, okay. Is this the right, you know, I don't feel the brains, yeah. you know? I want to make sure that we're making the right decision. So we really, you know, take a season to come together to talk about it and think about it, pray mm-hmm. about it. And every time we've moved, it's always been the right place. And ironically, when we moved to Texas, I told her after we were there, not even a year, I said, we're not going to be here long.
0: Oh, <laughs> I
1: said, I just feel it in my heart. And yeah. I said, I think it was supposed to get published and this is what I'm thinking, okay? My yeah. vision is this big, about the size of a stand. <laughs> so I had written an article with JV, uh-huh. and we had submitted it to an organization that we were really hoping they would publish it. But just as we sent it to them, they announce uh, on the internet that they're going to halt publishing. Ugh. And so I'm like, what do we do now? And then a week later, I bump into Jan, and she invites me to write the fifth edition. Oh, so wow. my vision expanded a little bit. A little bit, yeah. And so after being there for three years... Um, we moved from there to Florida, okay. Ocala. And I'll tell you, my family feels like we're home. Yeah. It's a good place. That's good.
0: Oh, I'm glad. So I'm glad you're going to be here a while.
1: Oh, I, <laughs> I, hope, I hope and pray,
0: please. Yeah. We're done. So where did you actually grow up then?
1: I was born in Massachusetts. Okay. Um, I lived there for a good part of my younger years, mm-hmm. between there and Arizona. Okay. And back and forth. My parents divorced when I was young. Um. And I lived there, well into my early twenties, I was like I said, back and forth. Mm-hmm. And I graduated from high school in Massachusetts. Spent a short time in Florida with my grandmother, and then went back, and I stayed there for a while. Yeah, until I went off to college.
0: Okay, and where did you go to college?
1: Um, for three years, I attended a small Bible college in Rhode Island, okay, called Zion Bible Institute, which is now North Point, and then I transferred to Central Bible College. And got my bachelor's degree in deaf ministry and Bible. Okay. And then I got my master's in special education at uh, Missouri State University. Okay. Okay.
0: Very good. How was your time in Minnesota? I'm always, I'm always, (laughs) you know, curious, especially when it's a city that I Uh, lived very close to.
1: (laughs) Minnesota was an amazing place. I, uh, that's where I ended up going to teach. I taught there for almost six years at, uh, again, North Central University and, it was probably one of the best opportunities in my life. Yeah. I I really became very uh, curriculum oriented. It became something for me to really analyze the work that we had do as interpreters. Mm-hmm. Um, the community there has... A really strong sense of commitment to the deaf community, a really strong sense of commitment to themselves. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm I'm very impressed with the interpreting community in Minnesota. Um, I loved my time there. You know, but when when your time is done in a place and you know, yeah. Um, you're, you you need to find the next chapter. Yes. And so we were very fortunate that all things fell together and I was able to do what I needed to do and we were able to go to Texas. Okay. Um, and that's where, again, I wrote the book. But I, yeah. I'll tell you like, most people are like, I'm confused. Where were you when? And so I'll give you a quick map. Okay. Very quick. okay. <laughs> Because, you know, I was living in Massachusetts at the time. I had moved to Florida for a very short period of time. I moved back to Massachusetts. And then I literally went to Rhode Island for my college years. Okay. From there, we went to Missouri, where I ended up pastoring a deaf church. Okay. Then we moved back to Massachusetts. (laughs) I stayed there for nine years. And from there, we went to North Carolina. From North Carolina, well, this is where I adopted four boys. Okay. And from North Carolina, we moved to Minnesota. After being there and teaching at North Central University, we moved to Texas, where I worked at Deaf Bible Society. In Deaf Bible Society, I worked on scripture translation. Mm-hmm. I taught individuals and in communities to translate from written text into sign language. Okay. And then from there, I moved to Ocala, Florida,
0: okay. and have
1: began work. And I began working at Hands Up Communications just about two years ago.
0: Okay. Okay. And how long have so you been in Ocala?
1: Just about two years. Just about two years? no, a year and a half, a year and a half, because I started in Iowa. I was not living there. I was just getting trained. Okay. So I was there for about three to four months and then moved here in August, I believe, August of 21.
0: When they said they... They were transferring you to Florida. Were you breathing a sigh of relief of that cold weather in Iowa? (laughs) I
1: I think Iowa is beautiful. Um, I really do. It's a lot like Minnesota. Yeah. It gets very cold. It does. But I I, I didn't – you know, if you dress right. (laughs) (laughs)
0: That's what my mother says. She still not convinced me. (laughs) I mean –
1: my family doesn't like the cold weather. Yeah. None of my family. And <laughs> and I think the only reason that I didn't mind it was because I didn't have to shovel.
0: That, that makes a big difference. You know, it makes a big difference. kids, you know, they're out there
1: <laughs> taking care of that. And I'm like, but I think if I had to actually shovel or snow blow, we might have moved south a lot sooner. Yes,
0: <laughs> yes, yes. So. I I agree with that 100%. I think my mom is still up in northern Minnesota. Wow. And um she had a surgery and and ever since then um my stepfather will not allow her to partic- participate in any of the <laughs> snow removal. And so she's just been watching them this winter because they have had a record-breaking snowfall yes. up there. Yes, they <laughs> and have. they their average is usually around eighty inches this time of year, and they've had well over a mm-hmm. hundred inches and and still piling on in yeah. late March. <laughs> I,
1: know, I remember uh, when we were living there, my daughter's birthday is in April, mm-hmm. late April, and it snowed on her birthday. And she's like, this is not what I wished for for my birthday. No. <laughs> I'm like, Minnesota doesn't care.
0: No, Minnesota does not care. I had a January birthday. I was born in a blizzard. Oh, and on my birthday, every year, it was either the coldest day of the year or there was a blizzard. Yeah. And so when I moved down here in 2009 and 2010 was my first warm birthday, mm-hmm. it actually happened to be warm and it was 70 something degrees. And we went to the beach and I yeah. wrote in yeah. and I have a picture somewhere that I kept in a frame for quite a while that says, happy warm birthday yeah. <laughs> in See, the sand.
1: <laughs> and my wife's birthday is in January too. And, mm-hmm. and she's
0: Canadian. Okay. So okay. She so she really- had it Worse. Yeah, she gets
1: it. Because there were times that she would say, you know, Minnesota got colder than where I was. She was living in Toronto. Mm-hmm. And she said there were times that Minnesota was colder than we were. And she goes, It's crazy. And then as Canadian who married me, the American, and then she ends up moving there and she's like, You really don't like me, do
0: you? It's, not, it's nothing to do with you. It's nothing to do with you, I promise. Yeah, yeah. So. oh, that's great. So um this is gonna come out in uh, may so when are you guys having your next def night def, out deaf night out yeah
1: um well the closest one obviously is this Saturday April 20 no where are we March April where am I I'm
0: we're lost. in March right okay, now yeah March
1: 25th is going to be the next one obviously okay. that's far away mm-hmm. um we are planning an event for May but let me just share some things that are happening that that I think are exciting, and I don't have the the exact dates. Um, We have had the opportunity, the privilege to meet with the Ocala Police Department and talk about what it's like when you pull over a person who's deaf. Okay. Because one of the most important things that a person can do when they're pulled over is to obey the commands from the officer. Yes. It increases the likelihood that the event will be not dangerous to anyone. Mm -hmm. Well, deaf people can't hear the commands. So many of deaf people, they have learned Ten and two, hands on the steering wheel. Yeah. But sometimes they're trying to find their, you know, they're, they know what the routine is because they've watched enough TV, they've experienced it, so they want to get their license, their registration. And that movement is dangerous, and they don't realize it sometimes. Okay. And so uh, we've already met with them once, and so we're hosting a town hall in May. Mm-hmm. So that's one event that we're um, going to be hosting. We will also host uh, a Deaf Night event. We're looking for a, a location that we haven't been to yet, and it's pretty hard because We have to find a well-lit restaurant on a weekend Mm. that will be willing to take anywhere from 75 to 95 deaf people. Okay. Um, And some restaurants are like, uh, "Mm, no, we're not interested. (laughs) We've only been turned down once, really. Okay. Uh, Most places are like, yeah, how will we communicate? Because we bring our own interpreters. Sure. We have four staff interpreters that walk around and help with uh, ordering all the meals. Um, But you have to realize people who are deaf are so used to interacting with people who can hear. Okay that ordering food at a restaurant is nothing for them. The The servers are more nervous until they get mm-hmm. to the rhythm of it, and they're like, wow, this was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, and it is. Um, so I don't know the exact date of the things coming in May. We usually okay. plan a month to two in advance, but sometimes things get – yeah. A little behind. For yeah, us. that's okay.
0: So. It, normally on your Facebook or website? Yes, always. Always. Okay. Yeah. So we'll make sure to link to all of that stuff in the description Please. as well. Please. Yeah, absolutely. I can't believe where the time has gone. It is wow. almost time. Yeah. Crazy, huh? Yeah. So is there anything that you wanted to talk about that I did not ask you about?
1: The most important thing in my life, um, obviously, other than my family and my relationship with God is creating opportunities for access. Mm -hmm. Um, Our company believes that all people of every language have the right to access. Um, We we firmly believe that whether you're a person who has just moved here and you only speak Spanish or some other Haitian Creole, whatever language you speak, You should have the 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 opportunity to walk in any building and have an interpreter. You should have the ability to have documents in your language. Um, I watched my parents struggle not having access to so many many things, and now it's it's my my heart's cry. I talk about it all the time. I I tell people all the time. um, I want you to imagine that you can't hear.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: which means that you're going to struggle communicating with people because you're not sure if they understand you. Yeah. Um. Imagine what that's like going to another place, another country, or they, you can hear their language, but you can't understand it.
0: Right. That's
1: a scary place in everybody's life. Yes. You feel out of control and nobody likes feeling that lack of control. So I believe that access is the foundation to integration or inclusion and equity and diversity and the sense of belonging. I was just recently asked to write a piece about that for the CEP. And the idea that I really believe is critical is that if we can create access points, and the most important part is not just to create them, but maintain them, Mm -hmm. we will not struggle being an inclusive environment, an equitable environment, a diverse environment, an environment that creates feelings of belonging because you don't have barriers. Yeah. And when you have the freedom to engage with people, you have the opportunity to build relationships.
0: It's beautiful. I love it. Well, thank you, Bill. And thank you so much for everything that you do. And I know we're going to see you on this podcast again as an interpreter, I'm sure. (laughs) So I truly appreciate that. And I look forward to seeing you next time.
1: Thank you very much, Lisa. You're very welcome.
0: Well, thank you everybody for joining us here on the Locala podcast. I look forward to seeing you on our next podcast where we focus on connections through stories. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Locala podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please go ahead, like, share, and download. Your support is truly appreciated.